This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get on to the episode. Hello, middle-level educators. Are you looking for a nationwide type of conference at the fraction of the cost? The North Carolina Association for Middle Level Education welcomes you to Charlotte, North Carolina, March 24th through the 26th for the 2024 NCMLE Inspire Conference. My name is David James, NCMLE Marketing and Conference Director, and I want to personally invite you to our annual conference. You will not want to miss our keynote and featured speakers that lead over 100 middle level specific teaching and learning sessions. Our featured lineup includes EDU experts from across the country, such as principal and leadership expert Baruti Kafele, Darren Peppard, LaQuanta Nelson, Zach Bowermaster, and the host of this podcast, Mr. Charles Williams. The NCMLE Inspire Conference is for everyone. Go to ncmle.org to register your team for the 2024 NCMLE Inspire Conference today. Welcome to the Counter Narrative Podcast, a show designed to change the way we talk and think about education. By sharing stories of successes and triumphs, we aim to challenge the dominant narrative that often negatively portrays our disenfranchised populations. I'm your host, Charles Williams, an urban educator for more than 15 years, a current school principal in Chicago an educational consultant, an equity advocate, and the co-host of Inside the Principal's Office. Let's get started. So this is one of those episodes where I'm, I'm really not sure where to start. In fact, I don't even know where this is going to end. It's definitely one of those where I'm going to ask you as a listener to bear with me, to stick along on this ride, because this is something that has been challenging me in a unique way. And I guess the best way I've figured that I can process it is while by coming into this space, pausing and pondering and talking to you all. So if you know anything about me, you will know that my favorite sport is baseball. I love the sport. Uh, I've never been a huge fan of basketball or football, always will watch them, right, because I I enjoy sports, but baseball is my sport, especially the Cubs, you can hate on me later, but you can imagine my excitement when I heard about a podcast called Reclaimed, the the Forgotten League uh, by Vanessa Ivy Rose, who focused, or the the podcast focused on the Negro Leagues. And so as a fan of baseball, you know, as as somebody doing this work um, around racial justice, I, I thought, I have to listen. And I will be honest, like I, I, I poured through it. I would highly recommend uh, that you go and check it out, uh, especially since I will reference it a couple of times during this quick uh, reflection piece. As I was listening to it, there was a theme that emerged for me, 
Um, and of course, as I was listening to other episodes of other things in different spaces, it seemed that there was this recurrent theme. And because that stood out to me, because it resonated with me, here I am having the conversation with you today. And what I really want to talk to you about is um, baseball in American schools. And, and, and I know what you're thinking. You're like, Charles, what, what does that have to do with anything? You know, are you going to tell us your story? Like, what, what, what is it? But more specifically, what I want to talk about is the integration of the Negro Leagues into Major League Baseball and the parallels with that and the desegregation of American schools. So that's what I said. Bear, bear with me for a second, and I, I hope to make this all clear. So we have to admit that when the Negro Leagues, or I should say Negro League players, were allowed to be integrated into the major leagues starting in 47 uh, with Jackie Robinson, the, the, the great Jackie Robinson, it, it was a massive triumph, right? And I, and I want to specify that the Negro Leagues was not, they were not integrated into Major League Baseball. That announcement didn't even happen until 2020 when they decided to quote unquote elevate, you know, the Negro Leagues to Major League status. And even then, right here we are three years later, you know, still kind of hashing out the details of what that looks like. But anyway, that, that's a whole nother conversation. What's important is that as players like Jackie Robinson started to move into the major leagues, which obviously was something that was desired, something that was wanted, what what happened was an unforeseen aspect. You see, it was the beginning of the end for the Negro Leagues. And these these were not just sports teams. They were literally sources of pride and economic independence and even community cohesion in various areas across the country, people would literally travel to these small towns to see these players play. And as they came into the space, and, and I don't just mean other African-Americans, I mean Americans in general would travel into these towns to watch these individuals play. And as, of course, as we know with anything else, as tourists come in, so does money. So, what started to happen, you know, we can take the Kansas City Monarchs as an example, right? They were arguably one of the most successful teams um, in the Negro Leagues. And what happened as as players, right, as, as their talents, which were already well-known, you know, renowned, these um, white owners from Major League Baseball started just coming in, right, swooping up all of these fantastic you know, black players, because the reality was, hey, if we bring you right into the major leagues, right, obviously it broke these these traditions. But we also recognize that those people who used to follow you across the country who would visit these small towns and cities, they're also going to come see you in our stadiums. Right. And so there was this idea of money. And so they, they would swoop in, pick up this best talent. And what we saw was the Negro League collapse. Which was really, really sad because we went from having, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of Negro League players who didn't all make it into the Negro Leagues. And I mean, into the American Leagues, which in fact, a very, very small percentage, I don't have all the numbers off the top of my head, made it into the majors. So, yes, while this was a dream to be in Major League Baseball, it was only a dream realized for a handful of individuals 
And as the Negro Leagues collapsed, you know, towns were decimated. But more importantly, the these wonderful players, these star players, suddenly no longer had an opportunity to play the game that they loved so much. And I say all of this because a very similar thing we saw happen within our schools. If we think about, you know, Brown versus Board, um, you know, back in uh, 54, right, it was the start of desegregation. And like other things, right, there was this mandate passed down and people still fought back against to say, you know, we don't want to integrate, we don't want to integrate. But eventually those things started to happen. And one of the things I don't think that were often talked about was the creation of black schools, especially during the Reconstruction era, when uh, recently freed slaves you know, had this passion and this desire to learn, right? This thing that was held away from them because we recognized the power in, in, in being literate, the power of being knowledgeable, right? There was, there was this desire to learn and thus black schools popped up all over the place. I know oftentimes they are attributed to the Republican Party coming down and doing this work, but history shows that these institutions, right, is maybe is decrepit as they may have been at the time, they existed, right? Because we needed to be educated. So black schools popped up all over. But when we had integration, what we saw was not necessarily the authentic integration. What we saw was more of an assimilation of black students going into, you know, uh, traditionally white spaces and thus these schools falling apart, right? They, they've been shutting down. The, these educators who were in this space educating black students, you know, they ne didn't necessarily get jobs. And so we saw this breakdown of educational spaces. And as one example, there, there's Sumner, Sumner High School in St. Louis, which was the first high school for African-Americans west of the Mississippi. And they, it's a great example, right? After the idea of desegregation, as schools began to integrate, they, they they saw a declining enrollment, like so many of our schools, unfortunately, thus resources, right? And, and they really struggled to maintain their own identity and uh, their own legacy, right? And, and eventually just collapsed. And we, we, we saw this as a trend, right? And, and I think this is important to see that in both of these cases, and I'm not by any means saying, look, integration is a bad thing. We shouldn't have it. We should go back. Like, please do not mince my words. But what we have to understand here is that while we open the doors for some, what we're seeing is this erosion of important black institutions. On one side, we had the Negro Leagues, which, like I said, were, were pillars of the community, as well as these schools that were all over, you know, falling apart. And, and disappearing, right? And so what we have to understand in these spaces is that we can't just have access, right? We, we talk a lot about having access, but when we talk about students having access as we integrate spaces, then we must be very, very intentional about how we go about it because there are oftentimes some unforeseen um outcomes or circumstances. And, and I've said this before in my other spaces that, you know, goodwill, right? A lot of times it, it, it's well-intentioned and goodwill, but it does not negate the reality of the outcomes, right? So as we continue to integrate, and I say this because right now, 
you know, there are spaces that are extremely segregated. I think about the schools in New York. I think about the schools here in Chicago, right? There's still a lot of work to be done, but we must be intentional. We must be very uh, cognizant about how we are moving forward, right? And so there, there, there are three things that kind of were on the top of my mind. So I want to share these with you as I begin to close out. The first thing is that when these spaces merge, right, as spaces begin to integrate with one another, is to make sure that we are recognizing and preserving history and contributions, because a lot of times those things are lost. I mean, think about it, right? As we talk about uh, curriculum development, much of what we consider African-American history, and I could expand this to, to other racial minority groups in our country, oftentimes become little more than footnotes in our history books, right? The idea that slavery can be reduced to a paragraph, right, is, is, is ludicrous. So are we preserving history and the contributions of the individuals who are coming into these spaces, or are we diminishing, right, marginalizing those spaces? We, we should also memorialize and commemorate, right, making sure that the names and the contributions of these individuals live on, whether they're in, you know, memorials and annual events, museums, whatever it may be in my own building, we tend to name spaces after people. We have a space in the middle of our building called the Gurley Center, not female, but Annette Gurley, somebody who was a sub who worked her way all the way up to principal. And then finally to the district level, you know, who was a black female educator, right? And so we make a point to commemorate her legacy in that space. So again, as we're integrating spaces, are we making sure that we are recognizing and preserving the history and contributions of the people who, who, who are coming into that space as well? I think, of course, as we do this work, um, ensuring that real equality is in place. I know we talk about equity and equality. The idea is that equitable practices will lead to uh, you know, equality and outcomes. That's the idea. So are we making sure then that as spaces are being integrated, that we we are allocating resources in the proper way, in this correct spaces, right? That that the individuals that there there's a diverse representation uh, for the students, right, in our spaces. So that we're talking about educators, um, administrators, so that way the students in our spaces can see themselves. That they don't feel as if they are in a space that they will never one day be truly welcomed or, or or reflected in that space. So can they see themselves, you know, in that space? And of course, these these ideas of inclusive policies and practices, so many times the things that we have in place, you know, serve the quote unquote dominant culture in that space. And as we integrate spaces, right, that 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 marginalized population, that minority group who comes in, oftentimes they suffer because of those policies and practices because the cultural nuances aren't always considered. And last but not least, I'll end with this, is really just taking time to understand all of the impacts, all of the effects of integration. Of course, when we say it, we're like, yes, absolutely, we need that because of the importance. But I think we also should take a moment and to say, okay, what are some of these possible negative outcomes? As I just shared, as we saw with the Negro Leagues, as we saw, you know, with an education, I mean, think about spaces like, like black communities when integration came, you know, the, the space of, of concentrated wealth, 
um, of autonomy, right, then those spaces fell apart, right? They, they declined, they disappeared. And even in the case of spaces like Greenwood, literally paved over and, and wiped away from our history, right? And so are we making sure that we are educating ourselves, right, about the, the, the effects, the impacts of integration? Um, are we making sure that we are bringing in the community, making sure that everybody is involved? And again, so those, those, those histories continue to live on, that, that people who are being impacted by this, that they have a voice in this space, right? And so those are my three, right? By no means am I saying, look, things are better, you know, when we're segregated, when we're apart, when we have our own spaces. I think there, there's a rich cultural tapestry that can be created um, and that is absolutely necessary as we integrate spaces, but we have to be aware of these unforeseen circumstances, right? And I think that we do so again by this idea of saying, hey, are we going to recognize and preserve the history and contributions of people? Are we going to make sure that there's actual racial um, and cultural equality in these spaces? And are we making sure that we are knowledgeable of how integration impacts both of these areas and beyond so that way we don't have, you know, such negative outcomes that we have seen in multiple spaces as we are trying to move forward, as we are becoming more progressive in our spaces. So again, I told you to stick with me. I, I hope that my, my concepts were conveyed. It's just been, as I said, something that continues to stir up. And I don't think this would be the last time that I have this conversation. I I feel like this might be something that I dive much, much deeper into, you know, and dedicating much more time than one of these paused to ponders. I know this has gone a little over what we typically do. So thank you for sticking with me. I look forward to the next time. See you then. I want to thank you for listening to the Counter Narrative Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please be sure to like, subscribe, and of course, share it with friends and family. I'd also love to hear your thoughts about the show, so please leave a comment or two as well. Now, I'm not sure what platform you're using, but the show can be found on Anchor, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and plenty of other platforms. If the show isn't on your preferred site, let me know, and I'll be sure to get it up and running. This podcast is also featured on schoolrubric.com, where you can find educational articles, videos, and interviews with educators from around the globe. Be sure to connect with me and other listeners by following the show on Twitter at The CN Podcast and joining the show's Facebook group. Take care.